But we return this morning to the God-breathed words of Matthew 5 through 7. And these are the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples on a mountain in Galilee some 2,000 years ago. More familiarly known as the Sermon on the Mount. And it's a teaching that begins not by accident with a word that Jesus intentionally repeats nine times in the first 11 verses. So I guess, or maybe I don't guess, I know that this is obviously what this passage is about. And it's important to Jesus and it's important in his heart that we would know about it. And it is the word blessed. Blessed. And in Latin, the word for blessed is beatus. And that is where we get the word beatitude. And a beatitude is a declaration of blessedness. A declaration of blessedness. And this is what Jesus introduces. And this is what he brings to bear. And this is where he starts in his sermon on the mount. He begins it with declarations of blessedness. And hence the title that most people use to describe the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It's referred to very commonly as the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. It's Jesus' declaration of blessedness that defines what the Christian life is all about. And we talked about this last week. Someone were to come up to you and ask you what the Christian life is all about. What would you say? Well, there's an easy way to handle it. Just ask them to read these first 12 verses of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus does a far better job than I could ever do in explaining, and more than explaining, stating and declaring what the Christian life is and what it is all about, what it stands for, and what it will become. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, and we will read verses 1 through 12 together hearing this summation by our Lord and Savior of what the Christian life is and what it is all about. Matthew 5.1, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, brothers and sisters, we live in a world where being blessed usually refers to being lucky or visibly successful. That's typically how we use this word. We talk about engaged couples being blessed. 
Molly and Randall, I'm sorry I wasn't able to be there yesterday to see the blessing of your engagement. I was busy preparing this sermon gift for you. This is my blessing to you for this engagement. But we talk about people who are going to deliver a child. Congratulations about how blessed they are. And we hear about this by professional athletes and coaches who talk about how blessed they are to be able to work and play in the NBA or the NFL. And we hear people talk about being how blessed they are to have a car, to have a home, to have an education, to have a career, and the list goes on and on and on. But brothers and sisters, as we consider the words that we just heard, as we think about what Jesus just said, it's not hard to see that Jesus is very clearly talking about something completely different. Poverty of spirit, mourning, meekness, persecution. These are hardly our Christmas wish lists, are they? And they're hardly the things that people, if we're honest about it, how many of us, and I'm there with you, Lord, give me persecution for your name's sake. And as you read this, and as you read many of the accounts of the Sermon on the Mount, by many who are not professing believers, whether it's Mahatma Gandhi or all the others who are so enamored with this, it's very obvious and very clear, and they talk about this. You don't have to be a believer to understand that what Jesus is describing is the extreme and polar opposite of most of the things that we esteem or highly regard or pursue or we describe as blessings in our lives, our families, our society. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. And so what exactly is Jesus doing? And how does this apply to us? And it brings us to our first point this morning. Jesus is making a declaration about life in his kingdom. And of course it begs the question, are you in the kingdom or are you out? Are you part of his kingdom or are you part of the kingdoms of this world? The kingdoms of IBM and Apple and Rome and all the others. Jesus is making a declaration about what life is is and is about and what it stands for in his kingdom. He's telling his disciples straight up, right at the beginning, this is what the Christian life is. And as we noted last week, the point that Matthew makes repeatedly, beginning in Matthew 1 through 5, is Jesus is not speaking here as a guru. He's not speaking here as a rabbi. He's not speaking here as a civil rights activist. This is not Saturday in the synagogue. This is not Sunday in the church. This is not Wednesday in the yoga studio. Jesus is speaking as a king. Matthew 1 through 4. He's speaking as God's king. He's speaking as the Messiah, the anointed one. And he's speaking to the new citizens of his kingdom. Those he has chosen, those he has called, those he has brought under his rule. And how has he done this? He's done this, as we've seen in Matthew chapter 4, not because of anything that they bring to the table. He's done it through the power of the gospel. 
He's done it through the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's done it through calling sinners to repent from their sins and put their faith not in themselves, but in Him. Matthew chapter 4. And Matthew refers to these people who Jesus has brought out of the world and into His kingdom and into His life and under His rule and under His authority. He refers to them in Matthew 5 verse 1 as disciples. Citizens of Christ's kingdom. And in Matthew 5 through 7, on this mountain in Galilee, as the crowds gather, it's to these kingdom citizens that Jesus, as the King and Messiah, He makes this royal declaration, this official and authoritative announcement. And when it comes to declarations, this is something that maybe we're not as familiar with, but probably the most familiar declaration to us is the American Declaration of Independence. It's the most recent. It's what we talk about when we think of official announcements. And how does that declaration begin? The Declaration of Independence. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. This is who we are. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created what? Equal. Now, back then, it didn't refer to Thomas Jefferson's slaves or Native Americans and probably wouldn't have referred to Asians if we were around. Nonetheless, all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are what? Life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. Now, this declaration of independence, similar to Jesus' declaration here. Similar in some ways, different in a lot, but similar to Jesus' declaration of what we just read, Matthew 5 through 7. Jesus' declaration, it's not a petition, it's not a program, it's not a sermon. And with the declaration of independence, to illustrate what a declaration is, this declaration of independence is an official announcement by the 13 United States of America that the states, this is who they are and this is what they are. And this is what they stand for. They are no longer colonies of a British king. They are now independent and united states. This is who we are. This is what we stand for. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This is what our country, our nation, our kingdom, small k, is all about. This is what we stand for and this is what we're going to be from now onwards. We're Americans. It's a declaration of what it means to be an American. And I say this by will of illustration. As we come to Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus' declaration long before the declaration of independence, Beginning with the Beatitudes or the blessings of his kingdom, Jesus is not here giving a how to make peace sermon. He's not giving a how to be a good Christian sermon. He's not giving a sermon to challenge you to grow and mature in your Christian faith. That's not what he's doing. As the Messiah and as the King of Heaven, he's addressing his subjects and he's declaring to them what a kingdom citizen is, what a kingdom citizen stands for, 
and what they will be from now moving forwards, all because of him. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is what you are. Okay? Verse 11, all of this on whose account? Because of me, on my account. Brothers and sisters, what is a Christian? It's who you are because of Jesus, not because of you. Not what you bring to the table, not what you serve at church, not who you are on your best day and not who you are on your worst day. Praise God. A Christian is who you are because of Jesus Christ and what He's done in your life. His mercy, His grace, His kindness, all the things that we sang about. Brothers and sisters, according to Jesus, this is what a Christian is and this is what a Christian stands for in the midst of a fallen world filled with fallen kingdoms in which we presently work and we presently labor. But praise God, they don't define us. I'm not defined by Apple or IBM. I'm not defined Necessarily by what my parents say I am or will be. I'm not defined by what my peers say I should be. I'm not defined by what my feelings and desires say I am or I should be. Praise God, I am defined by who Jesus is, who he has made me and who he's making me into. All because not what Mark Chen brings to the table, but who Jesus is, the king of heaven. And what he does and what he's doing. Fifty or sixty years ago, it was required of most children living in Christian nations around the world that they would memorize the Beatitudes. Twenty years ago, when I was in medical school, my professor, who was a believer who did missionary work, He lamented the fact that no Canadian Christians that he knew of, of our generation, could even say what the Beatitudes were. And he made the point that the only reason anybody knew what the Beatitudes were or could recite the Beatitudes was because of Korean immigrants into Canada and because Korean Christians were coming and filling the churches and they were the only ones who could recite what the Beatitudes were. We've forgotten these brothers and sisters. And as you read them, there's obvious why. Who wants to remember being poor in spirit? Who wants to remember about mourning? Who wants to remember about being persecuted? It's, it's anathema to the American dream. And yet for all of these things, brothers and sisters, Jesus sums all of this up, the Christian life, with one word. One word to sum up life in his kingdom. What it is, what it stands for, and what it will be because of him in this world until he comes again. And that one word, brothers and sisters, is blessed. And this brings us to our second point for this morning.
Life in Christ's kingdom is blessed from the beginning according to his word. Life in Christ's kingdom is blessed from the beginning according to his word. Now as American Christians, we tend to think of blessing, as I said before, as being worldly success. We consider blessing as the reward of what you get for working hard, being a good person, believing in Jesus, and doing all the things that you're supposed to do. And we think of being cursed as a consequence for not working hard, for not living a good life, for not believing in God. Right? Is, is that a fair statement? Okay, do we think that way? Do I lie on that? Well, just listen for a minute to Joyce Meyer. This is her exposition on a daily devotion of 3 John 2. 3 John 2. And the beginning of that verse says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper. And this is Joyce Meyer's daily devotion about this verse. Quote, in plain everyday language, this scripture could read, My dearly beloved children, I want you to have every earthly blessing you could possibly imagine. And then she goes on to say, God wants to bless you more than you can imagine. And she makes reference to Ephesians chapter 2. But then she goes on to say, and I've just highlighted some of the quotes because the PowerPoint. But even more, even more than wanting to bless you and fill your life with earthly blessings, but even more, he wants you to be Christ-like. Does that sound good? Is it a thumbs up? Thumbs up to be Christ-like? Okay. Then she goes on to say, once you are spiritually mature, you will be able to handle having the earthly blessings God desires for you. And you will be able to use them for His glory. And so then she sums it up. I didn't put it up here on the PowerPoint. Here's the message. I need to grow up. I need to grow up. Now we've heard that, haven't we, before? It's passionate, it's exciting. We talk about these things. You need to grow up. You need to be spiritually mature. Which is true, but does this sound right? What Joyce is saying, Pastor Joyce, Apostate Joyce. What's the implication of what she's saying? If you are not blessed like Joyce Myers, it's because you are not spiritually mature or Christ-like. That's what she's saying. Do I lie? Right? The reason you don't have these earthly blessings is you're not mature enough, you're not Christ-like enough, so get mature, become like Christ, so that God, who's just waiting because He just desires to give you every earthly blessing beyond your imagination. So we see what the track is, right? How the Christian life, according to Joyce Myers, get saved, become spiritually mature, become Christ-like, get your earthly reward so that you can glorify God. Show the world this is glorifying God with all these earthly blessings because this is who my God is. Blessing and being blessed is God's reward for your spiritual success. And brothers and sisters, that is a legalistic lie from the pit, from Satan himself. 
And it's the mantra of all false religions. And that includes the religion of our sports, the religion of our entertainment, the religion of our education, and the religion of our careers. Get a start, get your foot in the door, work your tail off, be a winner, and if you're a winner, you're blessed and you get the reward. Do I lie? It's the DNA of our fallen world. Pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Be a winner, and then you're blessed. And what it is, and the reason it's demonic, brothers and sisters, especially when someone uses the name of Christ, what's she done, Joyce Myers? She's reversed the gospel, right? Let's come back to Matthew 5 and King Jesus' declaration about life in his kingdom. Where does he begin, brothers and sisters? Does he begin with telling you what to do to be spiritually mature? Does he begin with telling you what you need to do to succeed so that you can get spiritual reward at the end? No, he begins with blessing right at the beginning. And how spiritually mature is the audience that he's speaking to? They're disciples. They just left their nets to follow him. And as you read the rest of the Gospels, they're not very spiritually mature. And what does he tell them from the beginning? Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Brothers and sisters, where does the Apostle Paul begin? In his exhortation to the church in Ephesus. Does he urge them to grow and be spiritually mature? He does, but he does that in chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This is worth reading together. Where does the Apostle Paul begin? Well, he begins just like his Savior. Same spirit, same God, same king. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who will bless us when we can handle it. Is that what he says? Who has blessed us in Christ with some spiritual blessings. Does he say that? Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now I want you to see a pattern here. That is here in Ephesians and also the Sermon on the Mount, because it's the same spirit and it's the same gospel. In Ephesians, God has blessed his children in Christ, In the beginning, before the foundation of the world, he's blessed them in Christ. He has blessed them. Completed action. So that they can be holy and blameless before him. Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And as you go through the pattern, you see Jesus starts with what believers are and what they will be. 
And there's a reason for that order where blessing comes first. Brothers and sisters, God, as Eric said this morning, is a good and gracious father. His mercy is more. And he blesses his children up front so that they can be what he wants them to be. He doesn't tell them to go out there and play soccer and say, or sports and say, okay, if you win, then I'll buy you the shoes, then I'll buy you the ball, then I'll buy you the gear, and we get the trip for the Happy Meal. He doesn't do that. Praise God. He does not demand us to be what we cannot be on our own. He does not demand us to be so that he can bless us. He doesn't use being Christ-like as a motivation to get earthly blessing. He is not a pagan God, and he is not a coach. And he does not ask us to earn his respect or love. He doesn't pretend that blessing is a reward for a winning performance. Brothers and sisters, what's Joyce Myers done? At the end of Jesus' earthly life, how spiritually mature was Jesus? Pretty good, right? What was his reward? It's a cross. The Apostle Paul and the other apostles, how hard did they work and labor in the ministry? Pretty hard, right? How spiritually mature were they? We just read together 2 Timothy, right? The Apostle Paul, how Christ-like at the end of his ministry. What was his reward, brothers and sisters? I don't know whether a prison cell qualifies as Joyce Meyer's earthly blessing and a God who desires to give us every earthly blessing. And brothers and sisters, praise God. Jesus is not a false teacher like Joyce Myers. He is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. He is the son of his father who has come to save his people from their sins because they cannot save themselves. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He's come to save his people from their sins and from this fallen world. And he's come to save us from this world's fallen, fallen blessings. The carrots that the world uses to keep you going in a life of futility that ends in one place and one place alone and it's far from the Lord. Julie, just the other day, she texted me an update on a friend of mine who I worked with. And I grieve. He was very successful in the entertainment business. And we found about, out about it through entertainment news that really at the height and pinnacle of his, his career, at the age of 54, the same age as, as I am, dead on the third stop of a large tour that he was on. Right? What does it profit a man if he gains the world and loses his soul? Brothers and sisters, Jesus is a different kind of king. And he saves us by bringing us into a different kind of kingdom. The kingdom of his word, the kingdom of his father. 
And it's a place which is the opposite of the world we live in. And that's because the world we live in is perverse and it is corrupt and it turns everything upside down. It says, light is dark and dark is light. Come join me for the party. And praise God, Jesus is radically different from the world and the kings of this world. And praise God, his blessing is radically different. And this brings us to our third point for this morning. In Christ's kingdom, blessing is God's gift of grace for his beloved. In Christ's kingdom, blessing is God's gift of grace for his beloved. Brothers and sisters, this is what blessing is for Jesus. And this is what being blessed is all about. It's about God's gift of grace to those he loves. And it's about standing in the grace, God's unmerited favor of God. That's the foundation. That's where it begins. And that's what enables children of God to live the life he's called them to. Because they can't do it. We can't do it on our own. If we had to earn our way for God's love and favor on our best day, we would never make it, brothers and sisters, because we're totally depraved sinners. And His ways are higher than our ways. And He is holy. Praise God. What a testimony to His love. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to take a moment for us to consider what Scripture has to say about what blessing is according to God's Word. Because that's what Jesus is talking about, because He's God's Son, and He's one with the Father. I want to take a moment to consider what God's Word has to say about why Jesus came into this world, why He died for you and I, if you belong to Him, why He rose from the grave. And He did this, brothers and sisters, to give... Sinners like you and I, a blessing that we don't deserve. A blessing that we don't deserve. Brothers and sisters, the first description of this blessed life, and the first definition is found where? It's found in the book of Genesis. You should have known that if you've known me, right? Why, why does Pastor Mark spend all this time in Genesis? The first time we find this word blessed is in, is, is in Genesis chapter 1. And in fact, Moses uses the word blessed four times in those first five chapters of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, go back with me. Humor me for a minute. Go back to Genesis 1 verse 27. Genesis 1 verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God what? Let me hear you say it. He blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion or rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Brothers and sisters, where does God's blessing of the first man and woman begin? Does it begin when they're spiritually mature? Well, Genesis 3 shows us, no, it doesn't. Like father, like son. Blessing begins with God. Here is the eternal creator king who creates and rules and blesses the first man and woman with his word. 
And what do the first man and woman do to earn this blessing? What do they do? De nada, right? Absolutely nothing. And brothers and sisters, here's the beauty. From the beginning, God shows us His love for you and I is not contingent on your spiritual maturity or your performance. The gospel and God's word does not change on your good days and bad days. And when we obey and when we serve and when we grow, we do it because the Lord has blessed us, because He loves us. We don't do it for Him to bless us or for Him to love us, right? Talk to my boys on the way here, trying to let them know what we're going to talk about in the sermon today. I asked them, I said, look, did, what did you do to be born into our family? Maybe that was a good thing. Maybe it wasn't a good thing. What did you do to be born into our family? And did we wait till you could do something for your mother and father before we loved you? Absolutely not. In fact, we loved them while they were still in their mother's tummy. Right? We prayed for them before they existed. And that, brothers and sisters, is a dim, dim reflection of the love of God. The blessing of God's word beginning in Genesis. It begins and it is demonstrated to be a gift of God's grace. His unmerited favor for his beloved children. And it comes at the very beginning of their new life. And it is a gift, as you can see hopefully in the PowerPoint here. It's a gift of grace that affirms what is good. It exalts what is good. This life God's given them. And it empowers this life, this new life that God has given them. For what purpose and for what end? So that by faith they can live out God's good plans for their lives. God never asks you to do, brothers and sisters, what he has not already provided for you. And enabled you and put everything at your disposal in Christ Jesus for you to accomplish. He's a good father. He's a good father. We see, brothers and sisters, that ultimately this is about participating in his kingdom, not ours. That's what blessing is for. God gives you the provision, the blessing, the gift of grace that you need so that you can participate You're not an audience. You're not viewing a film. So we can participate in his divine kingdom. And the beauty of that is as we walk by faith with him in obedience, the fruit of that is we get to see the fulfillment of that blessing or the fullness of that blessing of everything that God has promised and he's given us like that mustard seed come to fruition into that fruit tree to see the fruit at the end. And that, brothers and sisters, is called good works. And those good works come as a fruit of faith and as a fruit of God's blessing and as a fruit of His grace that starts at the beginning. Verse 28, And God blessed them. The gift of grace first. And then comes what God's beloved children are to be, what they're to do according to His word, and in His kingdom. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. 
And the good works of God's grace, brothers and sisters, that fill God's creation come from his blessing in our lives. And what is that fulfillment? And what are those good works? It's filling the world with God's life and his love and his light. That's what his blessing is for in our lives. So that in his kingdom, we are filling up his kingdom with all the good things that he has given us and put in our lives. New parents, you're going to see that, right? And you're going to live that. Where that child comes in, and it's a fallen child in a fallen world, but still it gives us this glimpse of the Lord filling our homes and lives with something that wasn't there before. And brothers and sisters, God's grace in our lives, His blessing in our lives is meant to fill us with Him, with His goodness and with His grace. This is what we aspire to. It's meant to fill our lives with His presence, what we sang about this morning. But it's also meant by faith as we walk with Him to be in our lives so that we can share it and give it to others. This is God's plan. And this, brothers and sisters, is the good news according to Genesis. God's blessing is God's gift of grace that enables us to live His grace according to His word. And that's what being blessed is, brothers and sisters. It's the privilege of living God's grace, which we could never do in and of ourselves without God working in our lives, without the rule of his word over our lives, without his word directing and making our paths straight, without his forgiveness washing us of our sins, without a savior who moves and directs our lives and cleans us up with his word, without his sanctification, without His grace from beginning to end. It's a privilege, brothers and sisters. It's a privilege to participate in His kingdom of grace. And the only reason we're there is because of Him. When I was a Canadian, I used to vacation in the States. Oh, it's a great thing to go to the States. It was a great thing to come to shop in the States. I see Matt smiling. He knows what it was like. The little Canadians looking with big eyes at everything that the Americans had. And so you come and you'd vacation. But the sad thing about vacations is vacations come to an end. And you're not an American citizen, so you get the boot back. And so you have to take whatever you can in your price limit, you know. They give you a certain amount of things that you can take duty-free. And you bring it back and you think about your next American vacation. Until, I'm going to bring Matt into this, until Matt and I became permanent residence and I became a citizen and then I got to stay and I didn't have to go home I got to stay in America I got to work in America I got to have a home in America I got to be married and have a family and have children who are Americans now let's not take that too far in the Christian kingdom but the beauty and the point when Christ saves us is he saves us by bringing us into his kingdom. And it's not like we're visiting church and we're tourists and we come in on Sunday and then we go home and we go back to our other kingdom. And we come in Sunday and we go back. No, the idea here is we're just celebrating what he's done, his blessing in our lives. But we belong to his kingdom. We're living as ambassadors in this world, but our citizenship is in heaven And we are standing in His grace wherever we are. We don't have to go back to the kingdom of the world. And this is one of the struggles, brothers and sisters. And many of you have had this struggle this summer, right? 
Get away from the programs. Get away from the Bible studies. Get away from reading your Bible. You know, it's sports time. It's entertainment time. It's time to go out and travel and vacation and do all of these different, all the whistles and bells that the world has to offer. Now, in and of themselves, they're not wrong, but brothers and sisters, and then what happens? What are we standing in at the end of the day? And what we do and what we stand in danger is we're really going back when we make that our desire and our reward, and this is what the blessing of our life is and what we're living for. It's like we're going back to Canada. No disrespect to Canadians, okay? But it's like we're going back to the kingdoms of this fallen world. And the beauty of the gospel and what Jesus is saying from the beginning is you are a citizen to these disciples who have repented and followed Jesus. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You are blessed from beginning to end. And then he goes on and explains what's involved in remaining in the kingdom because there's a choice now. Are you going to remain in the kingdom or are you going to go back to Canada, right? And this comes to what curse is. If this is what blessing is, according to God's word, then what is curse? Well, the Lord explains what his curse is in Genesis 3 and 4. And you don't have to look there. You're familiar with it. We just went through Genesis 4 with Cain. Adam and Eve's rebellion and sin. Cain's rebellion and disobedience. Can I have my next PowerPoint slide, please? Okay. That what disobedience is with Cain and Adam and Eve... It's a rejection of God's grace. It's a rejection of God's word. It's a rejection of God's presence. It's a rejection of God being king over their lives. It's like, hey, I don't want you as king. I don't want to live by your rules. I want my own kingdom. I want to do it my way. I want to do my thing. Right? So I'm not going to obey your word. I'm going to take the fruit or I'm going to kill my brother or I'm going to remain being angry. I'm going to follow the sinful desires of my heart. And the path of that that culminates in breaking God's word is a path of walking away from the grace of God, walking away from his blessing. That's part of what disobedience is, brothers and sisters. And in Genesis 3 and 4, curse is God's just condemnation of what is not good, according to his word. To walk away from the grace and the love of God is not good, brothers and sisters, and it has consequences. And the direct consequence is God's justice, and God's justice for what is not good is he cuts off what is not good from his presence. He's not going to keep what is not good. If you have something stinky in your fridge, what do you do? Put it in the back of the fridge and keep it there and keep going? No, you go and you take it and you remove it. And so there's lots of great food in this fridge. We're not going to mess it up with what's rotting in the back of the food. We're going to take it out and we're going to throw it out. So curse is God's condemnation. This is not good. And it's his just action to cut it off or to separate what does not belong in the goodness and grace of God. That's what curse is. And brothers and sisters, as we consider that, it changes, hopefully, the perspective of how we view what's really going on in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, of what it means to be cursed and what it means to be blessed. That word cursed in Genesis 3 and 4, it's about living by our own merit. 
It's, by, it's about living and trusting in ourselves rather than the grace and blessing of God. It's about living, brothers and sisters, in a hell called the world where false teachers like Joyce Myers are flying in jets paid for people who are beating themselves up or beating other people up for not being spiritually mature or Christ-like so they can get their blessing. Now, brothers and sisters, it's easy to point our fingers at Joyce Meyer. It's a caricature, right? It's a cartoon figure. It's way out there. But brothers and sisters, let's think about our own lives and think about the blessings that we pursue and the days we're discouraged where we feel like we're cursed. And how much of that paradigm, brothers and sisters, is based on blessing and curse as defined by the world as opposed to the good news of Jesus Christ, a Savior who blesses us with God's grace right from the start. Well, Pastor Mark, doesn't Deuteronomy say, if you obey, you're going to be blessed, and if you disobey, you're going to be cursed? And didn't Edwin read about that this morning? And didn't he read about this apparent contradiction in that chapter where God first says that there's not going to be any poor in the nation, and then later he says, the poor will always be with you. Well, I'm so glad that you asked. Indeed, Deuteronomy 28 through 30 does say to the people of God in the old covenant, if you obey, you will be blessed. If you disobey, you're going to be cursed. But here's your homework. Please go home and read the entire book of Deuteronomy. Where does God say that? He says it in Deuteronomy chapter 28 through 30, very specifically where he lays out the covenant curses and the covenant blessings. And he says it after Deuteronomy chapter 1 through 27. And where does God begin in the book of Deuteronomy? He begins with a testimony of his amazing grace to his people in their lives. His work of salvation of bringing them out of the kingdom of Egypt as slaves and bringing them into the kingdom of his word and making them in love the people of his covenant, his sons, and making them his children. And that is the foundation and framework that comes to his covenant that closes with covenant blessing and cursing and outlining of obedience and blessing and disobedience and curse. Now if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy 7.7. Deuteronomy 7.7. And I raise this because the Old Testament is a place that prosperity gospel and American Christians abuse this idea of blessing and curse. They take these passages and say, see, if you obey and do as God commands, you'll have all these earthly blessings. Look at Deuteronomy, and if you don't, your life is going to be hard. Okay? Deuteronomy 7.7. What does Moses say on behalf of the Lord? It was not because you were more in number. This is... Moses, speaking on behalf of God to the children of Israel, it was not because you were more in number than any other people. So it's not because you were this great, amazing nation that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you, not future, 
It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So brothers and sisters, when we understand Deuteronomy in context and we see that is a testimony of God's love and grace and blessing to the children of Israel. When we come to the end of the covenant, which is preparing them before they come to a new life in the promised land. And he talks to them about blessing and obedience and disobedience and, and curse. He's showing them the obedience that is happening. It's a fruit of your faith in me. It's a consequence of my love and my work of grace and salvation in your life. And the idea of obedience as a fruit of faith is, obedience as a fruit of faith is you're just continuing to walk in the grace that you've already received. And as you do so, you will see all that I promised. You're going to see the fulfillment of it over time, like that tree that grows. You're going to see the fruit. You will be blessed. You will see the fullness of my grace, which is already present, but you can't see, but you're going to see it as you continue to walk in my grace. That's what obedience is, brothers and sisters. You can't do it without his grace, and that's what it is to obey the Lord. It's a joy and delight for the man of the Lord, because as you obey the Lord, you are walking in his ways, his love, his goodness. But if you disobey, you walk away from the blessing of God. You walk away from His kingship. You walk away from His presence in your life. You walk away from His word. And you walk away from His plans. And God will condemn you. This is not good. And He will cut you off from His kingship and from His blessing and from His presence and from His goodness and grace. The, the greatest blessing of all is His presence in our midst. And brothers and sisters, it's worth noting as we come back to Matthew's gospel, Matthew and Jesus quote Deuteronomy and they quote Deuteronomy a lot. And why do they do that? It's because Jesus is the King of God's Word. He's one greater than Moses. And he saves his people from their sins. How? By leading them out of the kingdom of this world and bringing them back into God's kingdom of truth and grace and giving them a new life in him. And so that's the reason why, brothers and sisters, he begins his declaration of what the kingdom is all about with one word, blessed. Can I have my final slide? Brothers and sisters, we obey not to get a blessing. We love not to be loved. We love, brothers and sisters, because He has loved us first. We forgive because He has forgiven us first. We care for one another because we have been strangers in the land and we have been slaves and he has taken us out of slavery and he has made us his own. Princes and princesses in the kingdom of heaven. And so we remember what that is like and the grace that is given to us. And that is the basis to say, okay, Lord, how do you want me to love these people? Well, there's only one way, brothers and sisters. We love by obeying 
his word. And as we do so, we are blessed above all people in this world because as we do so, we stand in his love, we stand in his grace, we stand in his goodness. Charles Quarles, the New Testament scholar, writes this. He says, the fact that Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount with such pronouncements of blessings on his disciples before placing demands on them is significant. The order suggests that the righteousness described in the sermons is a result of divine blessing rather than a requirement for divine blessing. Let me close with this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 2 verse 1. And we'll close with this. Thank you for bearing with me. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Brothers and sisters, that grace is not an excuse for disobedience. It's an empowerment. It's an affirmation. It's an encouragement. And it's an exaltation of the obedience that we are able to do by His grace to stand with our Savior, for our Savior, as our Savior. Why? Not because of us, but because of Him and the new life He's given us. And so I put before you as we think about this, there's a choice. What blessing are you pursuing? Are you pursuing the blessing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Or are you pursuing the blessing of Joyce Myers? Are you pursuing the blessing of the kingdom of heaven? Or are you pursuing the blessing of the kingdoms of this world? Read once again this week, Matthew 5, 1 through 12. And consider, do you know this Savior? Do you belong to Him? Is your life indeed blessed? Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank You for who You are. What a Savior, what a God. You save sinners who are unable to save themselves. You bless us, Lord, from the beginning and not as a carrot at the end. And everything that we need for life and godliness, you have given us in your life and in your death and in your resurrection. Lord Jesus, we of all people are blessed. In your name we pray, amen.